Hey friends, it's Eric here. Thanks for listening to the Building Us podcast. Hey, I want to invite you to follow me on my new show, Stuff About Money They Didn't Teach You in School, where I take a deeper dive into money and financial topics. You can find it wherever you listen to your podcast, Stuff About Money They Didn't Teach You in School. I hope to see you there. What's up, Building Us listeners? Thankfully, it is a new year. It's a chance to add some newness to life. As we climb out from under the hell of 2020, Matt and I really want to bring you a special series of shows. It's a chance to consider what the next normal will look like in your home, in your finances, your work, your spirituality, your health. It's not the new normal, it's the next normal. It's a commitment to the next great thing in your life, despite uncertainty. And let's face it, uncertainty is both scary and exciting, and we want you to embrace it. We want you to reassume captaincy. You are the captain of your ship, you're the author, you hold the pen. 2021, this is the next normal, the next normal of investing in your relationships. Welcome back to our series we're calling The Next Normal for 2021. Uh, This is the Building Us podcast, a show all about the power of relationships, relationships to uh, people, relationships to our community, relationships to our money. I am Eric Garcia, financial advisor and certified financial planner. And as always, I am joined by my co-host, New Orleans, and probably Louisiana's most eminent couples counselor and family therapist, Dr. Matt Morris. What's up, Matt? Wow, man. I, I haven't had that introduction before. Thank you for that. appreciate that. I went eminent. deep, man. I've been, I've been, I've been relying on uh, thesauruses lately to find new words other than distinguished. The word, the word of the year for 2021 is thesaurus. Thesaurus. It's not a dinosaur. It's where you look up new adjectives for each other. That's cool, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. Imminent couples therapist. I I don't know that that is... Is that the word of the year? Thesaurus? I think it should be because last year we were learning all kinds of new words. Uh, Unprecedented. Remember that word? Furlough. Remember that word? Mm -hmm. So we're learning some new words this year. I appreciate imminent. You know, I'm trying. I'm trying. It's been a a good year in, in terms of uh, teletherapy has allowed me to do my work all over the state. So, um, I'm trying. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So we're, we're doing this mini series. Uh, we're recording this here at the beginning of the year because, uh, we want our listeners just to kind of start off the year with a bang and take control, take back control of certain areas. Last week we talked to, uh, Sarah Falau. We talked about, um, your money uh, Sarah, Sarah, the author of the next millionaire next door, her father wrote the millionaire next door. That was an intriguing, uh, conversation. What, what'd you take away from that? Man, I thought that was a great episode. And I I have so many couples that struggle with jointly managing their money and at the house and that her whole section there on the household CFO, I thought was really interesting. I thought that, um, you know, Gaining some distance from your emotions when making financial decisions, that that aspect of not being emotional when you're making decisions about money, spending, buying, all of that stuff, really interesting. And then 
And then just this idea that financially successful people do things differently and, and they're not part of the herd and it's okay to do things differently. And it's, it's okay to uh, not join the herd, but to, to do it, to do it in a way that makes more sense. I love well, that. You're going to absolutely love our, um, our guest today. So we're talking about your business and I'm actually, I'm, yes. I'm actually really excited about our guest because this is a, a friend of mine, actually the mentor, a business mentor of mine, Dr. Uh, Billy Williams. Um, and this, I mean, you're, you're absolutely going to love this. So I'm going to introduce Billy here and I'm going to let him uh, kind of jump in, share, share a few thoughts. And then we're going to uh, talk about um, our business and how, how we can, what we need to be doing to be successful with our businesses. And I think you're going to find a common thread from a lot of the um, people we've been talking to about to be successful in these different areas of our life here. So Billy is the president of Williams Family Investment Group. He's the president of Inspire Nation Business Mentoring, and he's the chairman of the board of Ukraine Holdings, Mergers and Acquisitions. Billy, what's happening, man? Oh, man, it's all good. Life is Life is a blessing, man. I'm just enjoying it. Always good. So you hear, uh, you know, you got this these three different roles that you play that right. I just kind of introduced you. Man, tell us, tell us real quick, and I and I, I love to do this. I put you on the spot. Um, why do you have the street cred to come talk to us about what we need to be doing to have successful businesses? Well, I won't say I have street cred. I'll just say I have a lot of experience, and I failed enough to actually make me look successful. Hmm. Okay. So you just look successful. Right, right. When I said I failed enough, meaning I've wasted money, time, energy, effort until I figured stuff out. I almost curse. I realize this is a family podcast, so you have to watch it. You know, I do have that. I will throw in a colorful word every now and then, but I'll try and watch it. That's all um, right. Matt I failed, and I've Matt failed enough one. that I've actually figured out how to succeed at a lot of things. And a lot of people can't succeed because they're afraid to fail. And I've never been afraid to fail and learn from that failure. You know, you try it, you fail, you learn, you try something else, you fail, you learn until you figure out what works. You Just by the power of elimination, you're left with what works mm. versus just throwing a whole bunch of stuff at it. So my street cred comes from the fact that, you know, I have a $1.2 billion investment group that I own. I have... Um, a bunch of different holdings, not just in the insurance world where you know me from, but also like the Miss Latina Texas pageant. I am the chairman of the board of Eurocray Holdings, which they they do mergers and acquisitions and buy other companies. Just uh, I, I've got a network of people around me that really help me to understand business. And one of the things that people have to understand without getting too deep real quick is that this country was not founded by poor people. This country was founded by wealthy landowners who got tired of paying taxes and feeling like they weren't represented or feeling like they were given a disproportionate share. So our constitution, our laws, everything really within our whole ecosystem of, of who we are as the United States is built around creating wealth. Okay, so I just pay a lot of attention to what the really wealthy people are doing and try to do some version of that in my everyday life. I think there's a story that that I remember we were sitting on a um, 
I think we were sitting on the 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 train or the above ground monorail thing in Vegas. Yeah, we were in Vegas years ago, and you shared a story with me that I absolutely love about a conference that you once attended. So you're, you're kind of military. That's kind of your background. And then when you got out of the military, you were looking what to do, and you told me the story about this conference you went to. Share that because I think that that's that's so intriguing to me. Okay, well, the actual first time I went to it, it's, it's Berkshire Hathaway week. You guys know about Hathaway, you know Berkshire Hathaway, and so. When I was in the military, because of my role in the military, I was commander of Army College Recruiting, meaning if there was a recruiter anywhere on a college campus in the United States, they worked for my command, right? So they sent me out to Berkshire Hathaway Week to begin with, just to kind of understand what was going on with investments and being able to counsel my soldiers and understanding what students were doing and all that. And I was lucky enough to be in this conference with, I mean, with some some real power brokers. I'm talking the Steve Jobs of the world. I'm talking um, uh, Moz was there from Microsoft. I can't think of his full name, but the guy, the co-founder of Microsoft. Uh, I mean, I was there. Of course, you know, you had the 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 Omaha man himself was there. You know, uh, Warren Buffett. And so I just sat there. I was in this room where I had no qualifications whatsoever to be in this room. None. And I'm listening to these power brokers and it's so crazy because they sounded just like my dad. Mm. Like literally everything they were saying was a version of what my dad had been telling me my whole life. You know, things like if you don't make the time to create wealth, then all your time is going to be spent fighting off poverty. Mm. That, you know, the one thing you can't get back in time is the one thing you can't get back is time. So you have to manage your time that it's really easy for for people who have money to think that they don't have problems they do they just have different problems you know what i mean i mean so just all these little things you guys can go out to icecreamlessons.com because i wrote a whole little guide uh ice cream lessons ice cream like the ice cream you eat icecreamlessons.com just go out there and you can download this little guide of, of sayings for free so what that did for me though was it really opened my eyes to one thing, insurance. Because the one takeaway out of all those different things and whatever that I that I heard was that behind all of the foundation of everything was insurance. Microsoft, their insurance division was really their service division. People were paying for these service packages, but not necessarily using them, but they had them just in case. If you look at cell phones, you know, you're paying for this cell phone protection, but do you ever really file a cell phone claim? You, you do all these different things. And so I was watching the richest people in the country basically say, hey, this is the key to everything is your insurance. Warren Buffett said, I think at that time they were spending $700 million on, on an advertising for Geico. And he said, I'd spend a billion on advertising for Geico because it is the crown jewel of what we're doing here. Mm. And so that opened my eyes to insurance in a way that I'd never seen before. So the military paid the first time I went. The second, third, fourth time I went, I had to pay my own. It was 25,000 bucks ahead. Okay. Oof. Oof. But let me tell you, that 25,000 has made me millions. Yeah. That's the best way I can put it. Because being surrounded by like-minded people who are 
advancing what you want, man, that's there's nothing well, like that. I need I need to stop real quick, and, and I kind of want to bring attention to to two things that you said. So to all our listeners who are business owners, all right, listen listen to what Billy just said. The two two takeaways here. Number one, he made an investment mm-hmm. in his growth. Right? He spent a lot of money um, to to learn something. Number number two, he surrounded himself with people who maybe not necessarily like minded at the time, but people who he wanted to think like. Yeah, I wanted to. I wanted to think how they thought. I mean, that's powerful. So, I mean, that that's our. We haven't even got. We haven't even gotten into what we need to do to be successful. And here you are. You've already dropped some. So well, you know, remember Eric when we were? I think we were in Nashville or Columbus, Ohio, somewhere we were, and I I was stood on stage and I said, "Look, guys, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong damn room. Okay, you're in the wrong room. You shouldn't be the smartest person in the room that you could choose to go into. Now, if you are the centerpiece of the room and everyone chooses to come hear you, that's different. But if you have a choice." You shouldn't be in the room where you're the smartest person in the room because you're not growing. You're not learning. Hold, pause. Third takeaway, oh my goodness, is humility. Because right? mm-hmm. what I just heard there is for you to say I'm not the smartest person in the room takes a little bit of humility. Well, you have to. You, you have to. You know, only a fool thinks they're the smartest person in the room. I mean, that's just not the way it works. You can, you can learn from anybody about anything. But anyway, that's getting into the to the theory of it, I know your people want meat and potatoes. So yeah. let's go ahead and I'll let you guide your questions here. But I want to give them meat and potatoes on what they really need to put in place. So I kind of want it. This is this is how I want this to go. Um, Matt and I are business owners, mm-hmm. right? And, and we want we want to take back control. I mean, twenty twenty just dictated to everybody, right? We're all, we're all reacting to twenty twenty. And as business owners, if we find ourselves constantly reacting, we got problems. So what do we need to take control of our business? What do we need to be doing to have success in business this year? Okay, that's number one. Number one, the, the thing that stops most businesses from being successful is unmanaged emotions. Okay, That's a common thread. That's, Matt, Matt kind of started with that. Emotions. Right? Right. Unmanaged emotions. Unmanaged emotions. And you emotions really show themselves three ways. Mental, physical, and then pure emotional. Mental is I don't want to think about it. I don't even want to put any thought into it. Physical is I don't want to put any effort into it. And then emotional is I'm afraid I'm going to upset someone else. Okay. Mental, I don't want to think about it. Physical, I don't want to do any work. And then emotional, I'm afraid I'm going to upset someone else. All right. So now let's break that down. Mental. The way you eliminate mental unmanaged emotions is by having set standards in your business. Set standard. Every business has something that is the minimum thing that, that they should do to be successful. As in going to the insurance world. In the insurance world, we have minimum recommended coverages for our customer saying, customer, if you go below this recommendation, this is a problem. Okay. You have that in your business. I'm sure, Matt, you have that in your business. They're just 
some things that are just non-negotiables. This yeah. is what it is. And don't that's non-negotiable. I'm sorry, what'd you say, Matt? Don't, don't hit each other. Right, right. That's one that's of the let's, yeah. So there let's talk about it. So let's talk about it. Um, and I'm going to pick on Matt. Okay, Matt's business. Okay. So maybe, maybe kind of like a, a a minimum standard might be: Hey, this is how we onboard new clients. Mm-hmm. We have a uh, you're going to schedule electron digitally through our website, and you're going to complete our intake forms online. Is that an example of what you're talking about? Of a yes, minimum absolutely. Standard? Whatever those minimum standards are in your business. As a roofer, my minimum standard might be, I'm going to put a minimum of five guys on this job. So I'm never going to bid anything lower than five guys. No matter how much you want me to bid lower than five guys, I'm not going to give you a bid lower than five guys because I can't do the job well. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Now, when you have those minimum standards, that eliminates that that emotion because emotion lives between thought and action. So now I don't have to think about this. I don't have to figure it out. I just need to do it. That's it. Because again, emotion lives between thought and action. Well, now I don't have to think about it because there's a minimum standard. So that's the first thing is and managing your emotions. Have- so when you, when you say, hold on, I'll back up a second. That's interesting to me. Emotion lives between thought and action. So I'm sitting here thinking of it as a business owner mm-hmm. and I have to think, and you said you did this, this first emotion. I don't want to think about it. Right. Right. So I have to think about, I have to think about something that's eventually going to lead to action. And the reason we don't want to think about it is because there's, we put too much emotion between it and it's yes. too, it's, it's excruciating sometimes to have to make that decision. What you're just saying is it, just the thought of it bothers us. If I've already made the decision before I think about it, this is how we do it then is that what you're saying? Yes. Now you're managing your emotions. Okay. So as an example, I'm going to use the insurance world. If, and I'll, I'll use investments. If I have, uh, let's say I have a thousand dollars, right? And I'm 40 years old. There's just some things that I can do and some things I can't do. And my advisor, if my advisor says, look, you're 40 years old, you got $1,000 to invest. Your horizon is going to be for the next 25 years. At a minimum, I want you to do this. Okay, whatever that is. At a minimum, this is what I want. Now the customer doesn't have to think about mm-hmm. what's what's under that minimum. The agent doesn't have to think about what's under that minimum. So that whole part under under the minimum where people get really emotional, I don't have to think about that because it's not even on the table for us. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that's that's the first part. Next is physical. Some people just don't want to do the work. They don't want to put in the time. They don't want to put in the energy. They don't want to put in what it takes. So physically, they just don't manage that emotion. Oh, I don't want to think about getting up, going to work. Oh, I don't want to have to sit down and figure out this report. Oh, I don't want to have to do my budget. So with Matt, Matt, I know you told me to sit down and do my budget, but man, I really don't want to put the effort into doing my budget. So mentally, I'm already shocked because I don't even want to think about my damn budget. Mm -hmm. But then physically, I don't do any work because I don't want to do the physical work to actually write out the budget. Right. And then the third piece is emotional, pure emotion, which is I'm going to upset somebody else. So if going to Matt, if I do this budget, 
and my wife sees I'm spending more money on golf than what she thinks I am, she's going to get ticked off. So I don't want to do that. I'm going to avoid it. Or my staff. If I tell my staff to do this, well, I never trained them. So that's going to make me look bad and they're going to get upset with me. So I'm just going to avoid it. Okay. So those are the three ways we manage or our unmanaged emotion, mental, physical, and emotional. Okay. And the emotional part being how we upset someone else. And, and kind of the larger point that you're making, just to go back to the signpost, is that uh, most businesses struggle due to unmanaged emotion. Absolutely. And, and so 2021 is all about figuring out where emotions leaking out of your business practices and managing Absolutely. it better. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So now I gave you this one shoulder, you know, you put things on shoulders. So on one shoulder, you say, well, Billy, you have to manage your emotion. So now on the other shoulder, you're saying, well, how do I balance this out? What do I do? Well, you manage your emotion by controlling your four types of disciplines. There are four types of disciplines, self-discipline, accountability, automation and technology, and outsourcing. Okay, so I'm sitting over here and I've got this mental, physical and emotional, unmanaged emotions. And I'm like, what do I need to do? Well, we need to come back, number one, and look at the four disciplines that it takes. Number one, self-discipline. You never rely on self-discipline in your business. Hmm. Never. Say it again. I like that. Okay. Never rely on self-discipline in your business. It will always right. it will always fail you because self-discipline is nothing more than a form of emotion. It's tied to your emotions. Think of it like diet. Everybody that's on a diet does great as long as they're not hungry. Okay. <laughs> as long well, as they're not hungry. Real hungry, right? <laughs> but the moment you get hungry and you're not prepared to be hungry. All that self-discipline goes the hell out the door. Everybody wants to work out and everybody's going to put a great plan and everybody's going to come to the office and do this. And I'm going to make phone calls in the evening between six and eight. And I'm going to do all this other stuff, right? Until it doesn't do that. It, it always right. is until it's not. Let me, let me Mike jump Tyson in. And, go ahead, Matt. Everyone, everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the face, right? It's right, like, like Mike, Mike Tyson yeah. said. Yep. Everyone, it's easy for everyone to diet when they're not hungry. Yep. Let me Wait, let man. me say it this way. In the treatment of addiction, for instance, alcohol treatment, mm -hmm. if somebody wants to stop drinking, uh, we never want them to rely on self-discipline. The, the opposite of addiction is not self-discipline. A, a version of that, a version of the quote is the opposite of, of addiction is connection. It's you want to rely on relationships. What you yes. really want to rely on is the community that will help keep you sober. You don't want to be gripping the steering wheel of your life, white knuckled, trying not to drink anymore with your own self-discipline. It will, self-discipline gets us away from the liquor store once. That's key. That's but key. But you can't keep relying on that. I right. like what you're it's, saying. Yeah. yeah, so that goes into the um, number two of the four levels of controlling your discipline is accountability. Business owners, you have to be held accountable. That's why mastermind groups are so important. That's why having a, what I call a board of advisors, 
you know, putting people around you that you trust and that you will listen to. I mean, hell, Jesus had a board of advisors. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's well people around him that he listened to and that listened to him. So why are we better than that? But a lot of eight, a lot of I say agents, but a lot of business owners, they will hide out in their own obscurity. They'll hide out in the corner because as long as no one knows what they're doing, then it's never really happening, right? If a tree falls in the woods and no one hears it, did the tree really fall? That's how a lot of people think. So they hide out in their business. And I'll go into businesses where I'm trying to invest. And they've hidden for so long. They've hidden their paperwork. They've hidden their money. They've hidden their processes. They've hidden their thought processes. It's all in their head. Nobody else knows it. It's not written down anywhere to the point that you can't do anything. There is no accountability. And when you have no accountability, you have problems. So number two, you need to make sure that you have accountability. Number three, automation and technology. Use automation and technology to cover your weaknesses, to cover the things that you can't or won't do. Automation and technology. So I'm gonna use an analogy. What vehicle has made more millionaires in the United States than any other financial vehicle? Now I'm talking to financial experts here, so, you know, what vehicle what, has what made vehicle, what, what investment vehicle has made more millionaires in the United States than any other investment vehicle? Oh my god, I mean uh, the stock market 401ks. 401ks. Uh, 401k averaging system, systematic investments. 401ks. But mm -hmm. why do 401ks work? Because, because it's automated. automated. Mm -hmm. If you gave me the money up front. And then I had to go find an investment to put it in. That money would be spent on my car. It would be spent on my light bill. It would be spent everywhere else. But because it's removed automatically before it ever gets to my hands, before it ever gets to my account and it's, it's invested somewhere, now that automation is working on my behalf. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, one of the things that kind of moving away from, from that analogy of the 401k, okay. One of the things that has given me so much more time back in my business is when I started automate, not automating, using technology mm -hmm. to schedule clients. Yes. Hey, can I come? Uh, hey, I want to talk to you about, uh, I just sold a property. I want to talk to you about investing. I said, I'm sending you a link to my calendar. And oh my goodness, I have not only saved time in going back and forth, but like when people schedule it on your calendar, they actually keep their meetings. They show up. They show up. <laughs> So that's a good example, right, of, of business owners yeah, using, yeah, using automation and technology to cover your weaknesses. Let, I mean, let a lot me of ask, people get go ahead, go ahead, Matt. Let, let me ask one. Um, can you automate uh, self-discipline? Are there is there are we only talking about technology or is there a way to automate behaviors? For instance, you I think you alluded to your you're a golfer. So the golf swing, the golf swing essentially becomes automatic in, in some way. There's a lot of muscle memory involved in that. Mm -hmm. Could I, could I automate some, some processes, some procedures in my business that I'm responsible for that I'm, that, that are kind of habits that I get up in the morning, I do this thing over and over again. Is that a form of automation or is that still relying too much on? Well, that's mind? more technology, but let me, um, that's still really good. So let's talk about this, my golf swing. You know, I'm a fairly new golfer. 
I started really getting into golf during COVID because I had so much time on my hands. Yeah. And Social so, distance. Yeah, right, right. I mean, it was one, it was the only activity that was open. They took down the tennis nets where I live. So I'm a tennis player. I couldn't play tennis. So golf was kind of the thing that I did. And my buddies would call me and say, well, show up at the golf course. So I got into it, but I'm, you know, I have an addictive personality. So once I got into it, I didn't just want to be a golfer, I wanted to be a really good golfer. So how does technology work into that? Number one, I schedule all my golf events. Everything, it's on my calendar. So at the beginning of the week, I'm playing golf Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Thursday afternoon or whatever. So it's in my calendar. And I know who I'm with because I send out the invitations. They accept. I know who my golf partners are. Secondly, I video all my practices. So I take my my tripod and I sit up on the golf range and I put it there and I video all my, every swing. So a lot of times I may have three or four hundred swings because, you know, you take your practice balls. I may have three or four hundred swings in a practice session and I'm videoing every one of those swings because I want to be able to tell when something doesn't feel right, doesn't look right. I hit the ball further here, but why? So I use this thing called flight scope. Flight scope is basically a training tool, right? So I video it. I use my flight scope. That helps me understand that. It also helps me understand my irons, my wedges, you know, so that my woods, so that I know how far it's going to go. So if it's something is, is 134 yards, what's my 134-yard club? And I wouldn't be able to do that if I didn't use technology to help me. Does that make sense? It still doesn't make me a great golfer, yeah. but I'm I'm on the path to being a great golfer. I have a plan to be a great golfer, and I'm doing the activities that will lead to me eventually being a great golfer. Doesn't mean I'm great right now, but my plan is a great plan. And, and it sounds like finding the right technology to support your your goal, your weakness, your deficiency, whatever that thing is in business that you're trying to get better at or or. Uh, to uh, to make easier to automate, find the right technology for that. Absolutely, and and there's technology for different things. Like for Eric, I remember a couple of years ago, or two three years ago, when we were talking about calendaring, you know, and Eric wasn't using a calendar, and I was really pushing calendar, calendar, calendar. You know, Eric, you can't call me unless you, or we can't talk unless you schedule on my calendar. And that's because if I got a hundred people trying to get to me, how do they all get to me effectively? Without eating, without eating me up, without eating up my time, calendar. It's the only thing we can do. It's the only tool we have. It's the same thing with you, with Dr. Matt. When your people are, are sitting down and, and having these financial discussions, one of the big things that they don't do, and, and again, this is me getting into my own personal thing, okay? Tithing is a big deal in our family, okay? A very big deal in our family. My wife will... I don't care if we have a dollar ten. She's going to tie. You know, it's just the way it is. I didn't see the importance of it when I first married her 20-something years ago because I wasn't a tither. I didn't do that. But what it did was that tithing taught me how to take that schedule. It taught me how to remove my money from, instead of spending 100% of my money, I'm only spending 90% of my money which a lot of times gets couples in trouble because they spend 110% of their money. You know what I mean? They, they allocate 110% when they only make 100. So tithing kind of gave me that discipline. Well, tithing didn't work for me until I automated it. 
Okay, it did not. I'm not gonna lie. If I had to write the check, that check wouldn't get written many Sundays. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. would not get written. But once my church started automating the tithing process, and I didn't have to think about it, it almost felt like like the way we were handling a 401k, and it was just coming out automatically. Now I was only left with the money that I could spend, right? Yeah. And I was like, well, if I can do this with tithing, why can't I do this with other things? So then I went to my bank and said, hey, is there a way for you to take a percentage each month out of my account and transfer it to my savings account? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can do that. Great. So now I had a 401k working. I had my tithing. I had my um, uh, savings working. But this was all automated because, again, if that money had hit my hands, mm-hmm. never would have made it. Yeah. So I think for for I'm, I'm sitting here listening to this and I guess the takeaway for for business owners is to sit down and say, hey, what what in my business can I automate? Yes. What um, what technology is, is out there that's going to help me leverage my time um, and so on and so forth? Absolutely. And it's there, guys. All you do is look at look at the competitors that are doing really, really, really good. This goes back to accountability. Look at those guys that are gals that are doing really, really good and ask them what they're doing. And you're going to see technology that you didn't think about, that you didn't know about. So talk to them about it. And then the fourth of those disciplines, because remember, we're balancing out the shoulders. The fourth of those disciplines is outsourcing. If you won't do it, you can't do it, and you won't make someone else do it. Let someone else who is, that's their whole job. Let them do it. So one of the things that I, whenever I buy into an insurance agency, there are two positions that I fill right away that I have to be in control of those two positions. Number one is the operations manager, because I need someone who reports to me, not the old regime but someone who who buys into my mentality and reports to me. Number two is the marketing assistant. That little high school or college kid that comes in six to nine hours a week and sets up our drip email and sets up our text messaging and sets up all that other stuff because I don't want my seasoned people being tied down with marketing. I don't. When I can pay someone 10 bucks an hour pay them 90 bucks a week and they can set up everything I need to have set up with marketing. And that's their whole focus. Hmm. So that little $90 a week person makes us thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars because now the agency owner, who's the one who's been responsible for marketing and it was never actually happening, that's off their plate. They've outsourced that. And all they have to do is hold that marketing assistant accountable. So at the end of the day, guys, those are the four disciplines. So you're asking business owners, what do you need to do for 2021? Number one, manage your emotions. Okay. How do you manage them? By having the four disciplines. How do you know what to manage? Mental, physical, and emotional, which is who am I upsetting? And then put those other four disciplines to counter that. Self-discipline, don't rely on it. Yes, you can have it there, but don't rely on it. Accountability. Who am I holding accountable and who am I allowing to hold me accountable? Automation and technology to cover my weaknesses and those things that I won't manage or I can't manage, 
outsource it to someone who can. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Uh, uh, man, I feel like I'm I'm in school. I'm learning some some things. You know, in my in my business of counseling, uh, we learned how to counsel people, um, and uh, many of my students are wonderful, wonderful counselors. They're great once they sit down in the chair across from the client and do the work of counseling. They're great at that. But running the business of counseling, we give very little education in, or, you know, almost no education in. So you're, you're giving us an education right now. Um, and I just want to encourage our listeners who are in the mental health space and the mental health field. There are many uh, nuggets that you can take from that last 10 minutes about how to how to how to improve, if not revolutionize your business in 2021, just with some of those points that uh, Billy made. Thank you for that. Well, let me give you four other points. Well, not even. He's, he's all he's going, man. He's going. Well, let me give you this. Because a lot of businesses, the reason why they don't succeed is because they don't know what the foundation of their business is. OK, they have no clue. What do I mean by that? Pick the four to six things in your business that drive the majority of your revenue. Okay, so you may be a counselor, Matt, that does couples counseling, that does all these other things, but there are four to six activities that when you look at where your money is coming from, these four to six activities drive your money, okay? So for me, my, my number one thing is my investment research. Now, I don't do my own investment research anymore. I used to, you know, and then I went to Morningstar and all this other stuff to do my investment research. Now I hire a team of people that do my investment research based on the guidelines I give them. But my investment research is the foundation of what I do and what I do as a person. So that means if, if hell were to blow over tomorrow or the earth were to freeze over tomorrow, what am I going to protect? I'm going to protect my investment research and the people who do that. A lot of businesses, they're so busy caught up in the, the day to day that they forget there are some things that are just more important than other things. Okay. And again, I don't know each of your businesses. So let's go around the room. So Matt, tell me, what is the biggest revenue driver, biggest revenue driving activity in your business? Well, uh, it's getting getting new clients into the practice and keeping them for more than two sessions. This is I, I believe that once we convert them into a, a client who's going to attend more than two or three sessions, they become a much uh, that that they create a lot more revenue. So, getting the right client in is a really important part of my business activity. Not just getting a client in, but getting the right kind of client in. Okay, so let's go deeper because we always got to go four levels deep before we really find the answer. So that's level, that's the surface level. Now let's go below that. Where do the right clients, where do they hang out? Mm -hmm. Where? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a, yeah, where do they hang out? Where, where is their watering hole? We have uh, we found um, that most of the clients come from referral sources that that are are similar. So they're attending um, medical appointments, they're attending legal appointments. Um, they live in the neighborhood that the office is located in. Mm. Uh, 
Okay, so that's that's our that's level. Let's go down that deeper level. What professions are the ones that tend to come in contact with your best customer? Um, certain uh, medical professionals uh, and certain legal professions. Okay, now yeah. final level. I mean, I would say. Uh, just to be candid here, my bread and butter client is our lawyers. Lawyers have okay. really challenging families and, and marriages. Uh, the legal profession in and of itself is not so uh, pro-family. Okay, so good. So then, then now we're down to the base level, which is how many relationships with your referral partners mm -hmm. do you need to double the revenue that you generate in, 20, in 2020? Based, if you were to go back and look at the numbers, we had 10 yeah. referral partners sending us an average of this, doing an average of this. If I want to double my revenue, how many referral partners do I need? Well, 10 more would be great. No, no, no. But that's, yeah, not, not, that's a swag. That's a sophisticated, wild-ass guess. <laughs> hold, right. on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. What was that? <laughs> a swag. It was. It was. A sophisticated, wild-ass yeah. guess. But see, the numbers, the numbers are there. Numbers don't lie. So if you looked at your referral partners and what the average amount of re referrals you get and what the average revenue is, and you backtracked all that, it would literally tell you, this is what I need to do. I need to concentrate on this lead source, and I need 10 of these lead sources in order to do this amount of revenue. Mm -hmm. See, that's what most business owners won't do. They won't take the time to go four levels deep because they think the answer is getting more customers. The answer right. is not getting more customers. The answer is going into what's generating those more customers. There's a couple of things here that that I'm listening to, and I'm, I'm going to go back to something you said earlier and kind of tie it back to this about kind of going these four levels deep for business owners really sitting down and saying, hey, where does my revenue come from? Mm -hmm. Right, it's recognizing where money comes from. How do I make money? What are the most effective ways for me to make money? Who are the types of people that that drive the most revenue to my practice? How do I meet more of those people? Where do I meet them? You talked earlier about your golf swing. You record every which which is a little neurotic. I'm gonna tell you, Billy, but that's all right. I like it. Okay, anyway. I went from shooting 110 <laughs> to now I average about an 88, 89, and I did I that in seven months. That's what I, I shoot did. on the front nine. I did uh, that. <laughs> I did that in, in eight for months. For the whole course? About eight months. Eight months? Dude, I, yes. I don't even have to practice. I can shoot that on, on the front nine. Okay, um, do that. <laughs> so you, talk about, you talk about videoing your shots. So here you talk about this information about knowing your revenue, and then you talk about your your your, your golf game and having these images, and you're using flight whatever to, to right. calculate this. Is There's something here, data, that is so important. Yes. You're, you're gathering data to make not sophisticated wild ass guesses, mm -hmm. but intelligent decisions based off of data. Right. So let me, give you a real world, let me give you a real world example. I own a, a technology company where we create a CRM. It's called our Data and Marketing Supercenter, right? It's a CRM that we use for non-insurance businesses. It has built-in text messaging, landing pages, all these other things. Well, one of our one of the people who is our customer is also a friend of mine who owns a hamburger shop. 
here in town where I live. So I said, how many customers do you have come in on Wednesday? Oh, I don't know. I don't track that. Well, how many customers do you have come in on Friday? Oh, we're busy as hell on Friday. Well, how many? How busy? I don't know. I don't track that. So I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take your receipts and we're going to count them up on a Wednesday and count them up on a Friday and a Saturday so we can get an average of how many customers we have. Then we're going to build text messaging into your marketing so that on Wednesdays, you're going to send out a text that says, if you bring this text message in on a Wednesday and show it to us, you're going to get 20% off your burger and fries or whatever it is that he decided to set that up. So on a Wednesday, and these are not real numbers, it's just off the top of my head. So let's say on a Wednesday, he had 200 customers that came in, right? Once we start doing the text message, that quadrupled, right? Now, remember, on a restaurant, it's a volume thing. The more volume you get, the more money you make. That's the way it is because your costs are fixed. You bought you bought 100 pounds of ground beef, <laughs> you know, whether, whether you have 50 people or whether you have 100 people until that 100 pounds of ground beef are gone, you're not you know, you are where you are. It's a fixed cost. So once we were able to take the data of how many people were actually coming in, we started with Wednesday and then he decided, no, wait a minute. My staffing is better on Friday because he would staff up on Friday because it was busy. Right. So then he said, I think I actually want to drive people here on Friday where I have more staff to service them. So we moved the text messaging from Wednesday to Friday. Same quadruple in results, but now he's better staffed. His profit margins are higher. He's driving traffic, so he knows who's coming in or has an idea of what's coming in. That's data. That's taking data and using it. So I think I want to use that as an example, Eric, of how data yeah. is so key to everything that we do. And you know, in the insurance industry, I live on data. I mean, I won't make an investment. I won't pay a bonus. I won't pay a, I won't hire someone with a salary unless the data supports it. I mean, you, you look at, look at our economy today and look at some of the, the biggest companies right now. Um, they're really not, uh, let's, let's say Google. Is Google a technology company or is Google a data company? Facebook. Is Facebook social media or is Facebook a data company? Yep. Right. So data, data seems to be the underpinning and the driving of so many businesses. And I think, I think a takeaway here for you know listeners, listen up. Um, data is so important. Know your data. Know your numbers, so that you can know make your numbers, even if you're a restaurant. So you can make intelligent decisions as opposed to swag. Right. As opposed to sophisticated, wild ass guesses and hoping that it works. Which we do all the time. I mean, that's how we run business. Isn't that like how many businesses operate that way? Well, see, and that's why it's so important that you have automation and technology and outsourcing. You know, Eric, when we sit down and we look at your business and I say, OK, Eric, what was your revenue per customer? If you don't have technology that's tracking all of that, you can't tell me what your revenue per customer is. If I'm sitting with Dr. Matt and I say, Dr. Matt, how many total minutes have you actually spent counseling this month? You know, if he doesn't track all of that, yeah, he can say I had 15 appointments. But did he really spend a whole hour on those appointments or did some of those appointments run an hour and 10 minutes, an hour and 20 minutes? So what's his revenue per minute? Once I know his revenue per minute, I can best decide how to use those minutes. 
I mean, some, people, some people might be listening yeah. here and like, oh, that just sounds so like, oh my gosh, like just track. Oh, you mean that stuff. mental laziness? You mean that mental laziness that we talked about earlier? I don't want to think about this. It seems overwhelming. Well, then outsource it. Here, here's a couple reasons why I think this is important. And we had a show um, um, last year in 2020, and we talked about work-life balance. Mm-hmm. And what I'm hearing you say here is when, when you understand your data, you can make better decisions on where to allocate your time and your resources. And one of two things is going to happen. You're going to free up your time. So I'm going to have more margin in my day. And if I have more time, then maybe something I value, like spending time with my family or spending time with my kid or taking a vacation, I'll be able to do more of that because I'm making intelligent decisions based off of data. Or um, I'm going to be able to grow my practice and grow my business by driving more revenue because I know where my business is. Or where, where I know where my revenue is coming from. Yeah, that's a, you're going to have both of those. I mean, I like again, I'm not bragging because you know God has just blessed me. But I run a billion dollar organization and I play golf three days a week. Golf is a three to four hour activity. It's not ten or fifteen minutes. Well, Billy, how do you do that? Well, because I know what I have in place. My data said, Billy, you need to have these KPIs in place for each of your key people. KPIs are key key performance indicators. So I know what their important tasks are that they do. Okay. Then I know how many of those important people I need in place. Then I know how those important people are reporting back to me what what the data is that I need to continue making these decisions. So because my entire downline, as you want to call it, my entire downline knows exactly what their role, their capabilities, their place, their responsibilities, I don't have to sit up and, and think about that. I can go play golf because I know the machine is working the way it's supposed to work. But it's not like you just decided to go play golf one day. I mean, you, you, you put the time in. Well, it wasn't until, well, because I could go play golf because I knew that my operations were the same. So let's talk about 2020. Everyone freaked out about 2020. Oh my God, people have to work from home. People have to do this. In the insurance world, in my insurance world, my agencies, it didn't really impact us. It, it didn't. I know a lot of agencies freaked out, sold their businesses, you know, let go of their people, did all this other kind of stuff. We were already working remotely. We were all we already had the technology. We already were using Active Track to see what was happening on our people's computers. So the only thing we did was move our operations to their house versus in the office. And here's what's crazy. Many of our agencies became more efficient when the people were at home than they were when the people were in the office. Because in the office, you fall into this habit of things, hanging out at the water water cooler or spending time talking to Susie or John or Bob about things you really didn't need to, or just not being efficient, not knowing your product, not knowing your service because someone else was always there to cover your butt. So you didn't have to do your work because someone else was always there to cover you. Now you're at home and you're a standalone. So meetings, 
trying to get my people to have meetings with their staff. Oh, Billy, we're too busy. We're too busy. We're too busy. But once COVID hit and everyone was working remotely, now we had our huddles twice a day. And they were actually huddling. They were actually coming together on, on GoToMeeting or Zoom or WebEx or whatever. They were having those meetings and they were going over product and they were training and they were role playing all those things that they told me they were too busy to do when everyone was in the office. But now it became important that they do it when everyone's working remotely. Hmm. So we actually saw our revenue increase during COVID, during the lockdown. You, you were talking a few minutes ago about the importance of data and finding some data to track in your your business. And I, I think that that's a great takeaway from our conversation is that in 2021, we all need to find some, some data, some really relevant crystallized data to, to, to track this year. This, this other thing that you're talking about are, are how your staff adjust or how, how businesses adjusted. Um, and part of that was meeting more often, which is a kind of review of, of, performance and what's going on and what the day is and, and what we, what's on tap. So combining those two things, uh, the, the thoughts about data and review, what, what's your thoughts on how important it is to regularly review data as part of a business process? Well, it's, it's every day. Eric can tell you, if, when we set up our calendar, when people start mentoring with me, the first thing I have them do is set up their calendar. If you don't have a calendar, you know, if you don't make the time to create wealth and all your time is spent fighting off poverty. The first hour of the day is doing your spot check. So Eric, in your particular case, spot checking is the data. You know, you're spot checking the data. So I'm not gonna steal Eric's thunder on this, but Eric, I want you to talk about just the revelation that happened when you actually took the time to spot check and follow that, what your people were doing or not doing. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I can. And I probably should should clarify a little bit here. So, um, you know, operating two separate two separate businesses, um, you know, you've alluded to the fact that we met in insurance. That's kind of the background, uh, family mm-hmm. background. So I've got a business partner on that on that business. So I kind of spot check two different businesses. A lot of the spot mm-hmm. checking is actually and we, we've talked about this and um, a lot of the spot checking on the insurance business is actually outsourced to someone else because I wasn't doing it. So you're asking me the question about my experience and my experience, I wasn't doing it. So right. <laughs> I had to find someone else um, to do it. Um, no, but um, a, 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 a regular practice of mine is coming in and sitting down with, um, you know, I have a CRM that I track my, my daily tasks is sitting down and saying, okay, where are these workflows? Um, what, what What's the status of, you know, these accounts that we're opening or, these life insurance policies that are in in underwriting. So it, it's kind of revisiting or, or checking, you know, doing a review of these types of things on a, on a fairly regular basis. Um, but right. to be able to do that, I had to set up a system and a process to track them and build out right. the workflows to know what to do in a very methodical way to make them more efficient. One uh, way, I, one of the things I was thinking about specifically was that you had a couple of people who had been with you quite a while, but you had never really spot checked their activity. And then 
So we had a call. We had a, this was a year, uh, this, uh, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so right. what happened was in the insurance business, um, I hadn't, you know, I was not very active in the day to day of it. And we had a, a staff member that left. And the problem was it wasn't just spot checking. It was, Hey, what are our processes? What do we even spot check? So I decided to, I, I literally decided to change hats for three months and mm -hmm. sit in that role. And, and I'm going to say probably in our, our, um, I would say in, in the least, um, it's kind of the role that someone played that they didn't have to be licensed to play, but it was probably one of the most critical roles of, of the business. And I sat in that for, for three months and figured out, you know, hey, what are the process that, processes that, that need to even be spot checked? So it goes back to data. Mm -hmm. Yep. Do what are the four to six things that yep. she does or he does that really funds their role? And a lot of businesses don't know that. So you may have six or seven people, but all you did was hire in your image. You hired, you said, this is what I do. So I'm going to hire people to do another version of what I do. When you may not have needed that, you may have needed someone to fill your weaknesses or cover your gap or cover your whatever. But because you don't know what drives revenue in your business, you think you hired right. So mm -hmm. I've sat down with many business owners and go, okay, this role right here, how is that role different than this role? Oh, they do this, 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 and this. Then why aren't they compensated for that? Well, I, I, I again, you're not paying people to do the very important things that you need them to do to really drive your business. And that's because you don't know those roles and you don't know the key performance indicators or the key tasks those that metrics. even fund their roles. Yeah. What, what's the data that I'm tracking? What are those metrics? Back to Matt's question. What are the What are the metrics that I should even be tracking? I don't know. Like I, right. I don't know. And I think that's a really good place to start. I remember something that you said once. Um, uh, oh man, it was talking about building a business or you're building a house. Mm -hmm. What's the most important part of you? You, you, you got this lot, right? You've just bought this lot. And you're going to build a house. What's the most important part of, of building the house? And everyone's like, oh, the foundation, building a solid foundation. And you're like, oh, no. First thing you got to do is clear the lot, prepare the lot. <laughs> site cleanup. Clean up the site. And I think that kind of alludes to Matt's question. I think, and this is actually, you know, we're coming up on an hour here and, and I don't want to infringe anymore on, on your time. And I think this is kind of a, maybe a good place to kind of come full circle, but a really good place to start is almost taking a step back mm -hmm. and not, not, not starting from scratch, obviously, and especially if you've got a mature business or you had a business for a while, but sitting back and saying, hey, look, is my site even clean? Can I even continue to build processes on this business as it is? Or do I need to stop and clean some things up and almost grow internally before I can grow externally? I'm a big fan of the book Traction. I think we, we may have talked about yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. And one of the things in Traction that they talk about and, and actually, some of our guests last year talked about the book Traction and the uh, EOS system. Um, uh, and and just, it's just a method. It's not much different than a lot of the stuff you teach. But what they say is it's really important and it's okay to grow internally first before you grow externally and spending time looking inside. And I think that's the best place to start in 2021 is to sit down and, and kind of check your emotions. Mm -hmm. You know, what emotions are preventing you from being successful? How can you introduce these four disciplines uh, that you talk about, and and what's the what's the most important data that you need to track? Right. So give so, give us I mean, give us some closing, inspiring thoughts. Absolutely. So what I'm going to tell you is 
because everyone's like, okay, I need new customers, new customers, new customers. So first, I'm going to give you your five best customers. These are your absolute, I don't care what kind of business you are, these are your absolute five best customers. Number one, your current customers. Your current Amen. customers are your best customer. Okay, and they're going to produce new customers for you, or you're going to get more revenue from existing customers. Number two, former customers. If they trusted you once, they're more likely going to trust you again unless you screwed up something. So your former customers. Number three, referrals from referral partners. Okay, referrals from referral partners. Now, that includes testimonials. Because a lot of people think that testimonials are not referrals. They are. If I'm willing to go out and write a testimonial for you on your Google page, and that's going to, 5,000 people are going to see that, I'm a great referral source for you. Okay? Number four, people that are actively seeking information about your product or service. That could be through internet leads. That could be through Google. That could be through reading articles that you wrote, reading blogs that you wrote, all those particular things. And then number five, people that have a possible upcoming need for your products or service. In the insurance world, we call that X dates, meaning you're probably gonna need insurance around this time. In your world, the moment someone becomes a lawyer, Matt, they're probably gonna need some type of consulting. Or, Maybe you can or do has, it. Or has a baby when you right, have or your has first a baby, baby or something yeah. like that. So those are yeah. people that possibly, so let's review those five. Number one, current customers. Number two, former customers. Number three, referrals from referral partners. Number, oh, you tell me, what was number four? See what good, what good notes you guys took. What was number four? People actively seeking your services. Okay. Or information, five, inform, information about your- There we go. And then number five? People who have some future need for your there we go. product or service. Guys, that's what I'm going to tell you. And if you remember those, you won't waste a bunch of time marketing on crap that you don't need to market to. And that'll give you more time to build the inner workings of your business. Oof. I'm exhausted. We should send him like a, we should send him a thank you basket of like fruit. We should, we should send him a gift. Basket. Yeah. Why? Great, great info. Thank Just you fruit. Guys. I appreciate it. We yeah. should, we should invite him to come play golf. There we go. I will travel anywhere in the country to play golf. I have a beautiful golf course a few blocks from me, a, 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 a championship course in City Park, New Orleans. It's beautiful. Send me the invitation. We'll, we'll play golf, eat boiled crabs, right? You like boiled crabs? Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, and we'll talk business. Billy, man, thanks for uh, thanks for your time. Matt, you want to you wanna give us any closing thoughts here? Well, um, you know, from our first episode of the, the, the next normal, we really talked about habits. And as part of that discussion, we talked about intention, you know, just, just taking 2021 by the scruff of the neck and being intentional about what you're going to do with your time this year. And, and I, I'm, I'm really inspired from this conversation with Billy about how I can be more intentional at, at running my business from a, a data driven perspective. So I appreciate that. Excellent. Yeah. Any conversation I have with you, Billy, I feel like I have, I have like three more hours of work I have to go do because you just, it's, that's not bad. That's good. That's good. Um, so man, I appreciate your time here. You know, Matt and I, um, we both, we both value relationships. Um, and I'm, I'm appreciative of the relationship that you and I have been able to build over the past, uh, 
uh, few years mm-hmm. and um, kind of you led off talking about the investment that you made in your business. Um, and, you know, we kind of launched this podcast because we uh, feel it's really important for people to take time and resources to invest in their relationships. So thanks again, brother, for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Dr. Matt Morris maintains an active private practice for couples and families in the greater New Orleans area. To learn more about his work, visit drmattmorris.com. Eric Garcia can be found online at plan-wisely.com. His branch office is located in New Orleans, Louisiana. The branch phone number is 504-218-5479. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through New Century Financial Group, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Insurance services offered through Garcia Financial Group, LLC. Entities listed are not affiliated. 